promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. Don't regret this, Lord. I'm a wonderful person. The Gospel according to Mark, the fourth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated and let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word to create faith, to forgive sin, and to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. Well, in the words of the great theologian and philosopher of the 90s, Hathaway, what is love? Uh, Those of you not versed in 90s pop music, Hathaway wrote the song as a dance theme. Saturday Night Live used it as a shtick for quite a long time with the guys going to to the dance party. But it's a song that is filled with the anguishes of love. Uh, Love being a difficult thing to understand. The the tagline, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Baby, don't hurt me no more. They've never written a song with greater lyrics. (laughs) The focus being this attempt to love someone who won't love you back. My my wife would probably say it's like being the parent of a cat, right? (laughs) You, You love your cats. They don't love you back at all. They'd actually rather see you dead. But I read the lyrics from the song anyways, and in some ways I often wonder... Is he talking to a girl that won't love him back, or is he actually talking to God? Is he actually being Job or or the disciples from our, our gospel story this morning? One of the verses says, No, I don't know why you're not there. I give you my love, but you don't care. So what is right or wrong? Give me a sign. I like pop music for sermon illustrations because I think we can take non-church people, whatever, whatever that means, non-church people, and we can often have a better understanding of the anguish of the human soul, the human psyche, better than we can when we're within the, within the church context, because for them, they're, they're in need of answers. They need validation. They need acceptance. They need safety. They need assurance, and in many ways, they can't find it wherever they've been looking. And they need something else. They need, for instance, a love that will love them, even in the times when they think that love there doesn't exist. I start there because I look at the story of Job, and in some respects, I think of him 
as a pop music star. If, if more or less probably like one of those coffee shop singer-songwriter types, you know who I'm talking about? Sort of the Bob Dylan writing too many breakup songs, tortured soul, suffering for the art type of a type of a shtick. Uh, pain and loss being part of, of what is written with real emotions tied to, to artistic expression. Basically, living out Luther's understanding of what it means to be a theologian, what it means to be a Christian, where he says that, that, that part of our work is to read the scriptures and then we meditate on them, but the most important part is to suffer with them, suffer under them. The tentatio, he called it, the tension, the struggle, the difficulty of the fact that the scriptures, the story of God in our lives might drive us to a place that is not fun. Where where faith that grows, faith that is a growing faith, a a trust that's growing is, is a faith or a trust that is applied, which often entails struggle. Uh, because with it, with, with faith, with trust, means that our human will gets negated, right? To trust someone else means you're not in charge. We lose our power with that. We become the passive agent. We become the one that receives. And sometimes it even means that we just have to accept circumstances, which often we don't want to do. A lot of us are fighters. We don't want to accept. We want to fight, The danger with Job is that the first two chapters of Job, God is speaking. There's dialogue. There's things happening. And then you get 35 chapters of God being silent. God says nothing. And all you have are the idiots that are Job's so-called friends trying to give him answers, pointing fingers. That eventually drives Job to to despair, to pride, to doubt, to all sorts of things. And then you get to chapter 38. And then God speaks. God has something to say. We we hear it in verse 2. He says, Who is this that darkens counsel with words without knowledge? Christian Standard Bible says, With ignorant words. And then he basically gets in the face of Job and says, gird up your loins like a man. Basically saying, get ready for battle, Job. You're wondering where I am. You're wondering what's happening. Well, do you really want to hear? And if Job were smart, just like if most of us were smart, if we came to God and said, God, where where were you in this? We'd hopefully say, no, I really don't want to hear from you, God. That's a little dangerous. That That can be a problem. But then God speaks and all he does is ask a question. Where were you when? Then he makes a whole list of things. Where were you when? I did all these things. Created the universe. Put the stars in place. Held up the seas. God basically saying to Job, trust me. I was there at the beginning of time forming all of this stuff. And you question where I am in this little tiny thing that has happened in your life. Trust me. He's saying The same fingers that drew the heavens, Job, drew you. The same breath that fills the earth fills you. The same fingerprints of the Almighty that that had a touch upon, upon the landscape that you see before you, Job, also have a touch upon your yesterdays and todays. And he speaks the same to us. The same power that formed the heavens formed all of us, all of you. God's saying then, in the midst of all of that, trust me. And trust is a hard thing. I speak from experience. Those of you who have done the Enneagram, 
I'm a six, which probably means nothing to you. The Enneagram is kind of like Myers-Briggs, except it takes into account uh, your, your family history of how you sort of got nurtured to the type of person that you are. And, and a six tends to have trust issues. Okay, I, I, I need to have people that I can trust, uh, which I think is why, for me, what is central to my preaching is about faith, because that's the hardest part for me, to actually trust, to trust God in difficult times, to, to trust others. I need it just as much as you do in all of that, which is why I love the gospel story we have this morning out of Mark 4. Because it's a story of faith. It's a story of trust. It's a story of going on this journey with Jesus and Jesus basically saying, trust me, in the midst of all of that. First, we have Jesus saying to his disciples, okay, let's go. Let's go. Cross the sea. Let's go. Come on. Drop everything else. Oh, and by the way, I'm going with you, he says. I wonder, has God asked you to go somewhere that maybe you don't want to go? Maybe. Or maybe he's asked you to go somewhere that you want to go, but you don't know how to get there. Or maybe he's asked you to do something that you don't want to do, or he's asked you to not do something that you really want to do. Uh, We can go back and forth on this all, all morning. But if he hasn't done that, or if you don't think he has, just wait, he will. It doesn't matter whether you're you're five or fifty-five or hundred and five. God can ask at any time for anything. And in the midst of all of that. He's going to be with you. And so he says, trust me in this. Secondly, it says that they leave the crowd behind. They, they leave behind the familiar there in verse 36. They, they leave behind the group. They leave behind the safety in numbers. They take Jesus with them, which is important because even if they left him behind, he'd find a way to get there. If you remember correctly, they went on the sea once without him and he walked across the water. Remember that story? Jesus will find a way to go with you. He'll pursue you to the ends of the earth. And that's how he does things. He, he does it however he wants to, whether it's through a pop song, through his actual word, through the sacraments, through, through all these different things, God is going to work through Christ in you and he's going to go with you. And I love too how they say in verse 36 that they took him just as he was. It's a small phrase that we kind of pass up. But what does it say about Jesus? It says, well, they couldn't change him. They couldn't dress him up. They couldn't make him more appetizing. They just took him as he was, in the boat, as Jesus, the Jesus that they needed, not the Jesus that they wanted. They just took him as he was. Which I think goes to say something about what happens next, because what happens next is a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat against the boat But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And we learn from that that just because Jesus is with you, just because you take Jesus as he is, doesn't mean that it's going to be smooth sailing, right? It's not going to be uh, peaches and cream. All hell can be breaking loose around us. Uh, Life can seem to be cut short. Desperation then sets in. That's what we see with the disciples here. We see things crumbling and and we think God absent. And so we join in the disciples here where they say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And that should be our reaction, right? 
When we're in the midst of of trials, when we're in the midst of of heartache, of pain, of that diagnosis, that trip to the doctor, that that struggle with, with making ends meet, whatever it might be, our first assumption because of who we believe God is, is that he doesn't care. That he's left us to be alone. Because, because we know God as creator, we know him as preserver, we, we understand him to be loving, and so we sit here and we say, well, where is he in the midst of the storm of life? Uh, where is he in the pain? Well, finally, we realize that he's actually there, because they had somebody to go and talk to, right? They had somebody to cry out to, to wake him up and say, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He was there, he was present, but he was doing things in his own way. And we often say that the disciples did not have faith there, and and Jesus even asks them that. We'll get to that in a second. But I think, in fact, they were acting out of faith because they sought out the one person they know they could ask for help. They'd seen him do all these miracles. They'd seen him do all these things already, and we're just in the fourth chapter of Mark. And so they knew that there was something about this guy, and so they knew that they could cry out to him seeking some sort of answer from who they knew that they needed to call to. And so Jesus wakes up, and he speaks life into chaos, you know, like gods do. If you remember Genesis chapter 1, earth was formless and void, and then God speaks. And in the midst of all that chaos, everything is put in order. Creation comes into existence. Well, that's part of what the message is here, is that this Jesus is not just a carpenter. He's not just a parlor trick magician who shows up at parties and turns water to wine and those sorts of things. There's actually something of this Jesus who is actual God in the midst of his people. But then he turns to them and he asks the question that we usually focus on, have you still no faith? And I said we'd come to this. The answer is yes and no in the story. No, they do have faith, like I said, because they act out on it. They, they call to who they think they should call to. They call to who they think should be listening. But at the same time, the answer is yes, we don't have faith, because this so-called act of faith also depicts faithlessness, because they assume that because he's asleep, or what they think to be absent, that he doesn't care, Right? They ask, do you not care that we're perishing? And so it brings us back to our theologian, Hathaway. What is love? Well, love can be hard sometimes. Most of you who are parents know this, right? Uh, Some people would want us to think that love is allowing your six-year-old to stay up till one in the morning eating ice cream and drinking whiskey and watching bad movies, right? Because we don't want to say no. But we realize that that is not good parenting. At least it shouldn't be good parenting. And if you are parenting that way, I'm sure that we could find a number for Child Protective Services. But we know that sometimes no is part of love. Sometimes we know that hurt can be part of love too. The difficulties of that tough love, I think, is the phrase that we use. But we also understand, if we truly look at life, is that the hurts, the obstacles, the struggles, the difficulties, the the things that go along with how love works in reality lead to the greatest growth. It actually can lead to us growing in faith, an honest faith that is honest enough to tell God how we feel, 
but is also willing to allow God to rebuke us, to be the one to say, have you still no faith because we're asking the wrong question, maybe? Well, as has been shared, this is my last Sunday with you. In about uh, less than 10 days, I'll be on the road back to California for the first time in 25 years. This will be, I hope, the last Father's Day that I have without my dad, for a little while at least. Um, But this last year has really been a time in which it's tested our faith, tested where God is leading us, where God is calling us, whether God is going to be with us, all these things. That's what COVID has done for, for a large percentage of us. And we've traveled that together. And I'm grateful for that. I'm glad I was not alone in, in making this journey with all of you this last year. We worried together. We, we feared uh, where things might go, and we continue to. Um, but I think part of what we've learned is that this life that we have might include some storms that aren't fun. It might include testing our faith, whether we can trust. It might include some loss. Many of us have lost people, lost things in this last year. I lost my grandmother uh, last March and had to bury her with uh, six other people. It might include God doing things in us that we're not exactly excited about, causing us anxiety. I share this with you, that when I came here, uh, almost exactly a year ago, I came here with the assumption that this would be my last parish. Not that I would stay here forever, but that I probably wasn't going to be a pastor much longer. That's where I was in my walk with the church. But I have to tell you that you've restored that in me. You brought that thirst back, the desire to do ministry, continue to do it Um, In some ways, you made me trust God in the midst of a storm. That's you, and I thank you for that. But I say now, as I'm coming to the end of my last sermon with you, that continue to trust him. Trust him enough that you're prepared to help others do the same. That's part of the Christian walk. That's part of the reason why I do the children's sermons the way I do, so that we can take little ordinary things and be able to talk about our God with people, so we can trust him especially when the lights go out and we're worried that we won't find our way. I close with this, only because it's my favorite illustration of trying to trust God, but we have to remember that we have a God who is the God of the Exodus. And those of you who know your Bible history, God sends Moses to Egypt to take his people out to save them from from slavery because they've been crying out to him. And Moses gets there and he's doing all these plagues. Uh, God is doing all these plagues in Egypt, and eventually at a certain point, even his own people tell Moses, go away, we don't want you here anymore, it's making things worse. But God takes them out anyways, and then they get to the wilderness, and they complain, and they don't like it, and then God gets them to just the boundaries of the promised land and says, go in and take it, and they don't trust God that he's going to go with them and help them take, take the land. And so God makes them go back into the wilderness for 40 years. And in some ways, it's a punishment. In some ways, it's a testing of faith. But the thing that we have to hold on to when we think about that part of the story, that whole section of the scriptures that most of us 
can't get through when we decide we're going to read through the Bible in a year because we have to make it through Leviticus and Numbers and all that stuff, and it gets kind of boring. You know, like 20 chapters just on skin diseases. You know, it's, it's kind of hard. But the reality is, is that God never left them. God was always their God. God was always with them, even when it was sending them to a place that they did not want to go, that was not the best place for them. He remained their God. He remained with them. He spoke with them. He was there to to be worshipped by them. He loved them. He cared for them. He provided for them the manna from heaven. He provided for them quail. He provided for them water from the rock. Remained as their God, even in the midst of all the trials of the wilderness. So I guess to answer Hathaway one last time, what is love? Well, this is love. You have a God that God has spoken to you through his word and through Christ, and he's told you that he is yours. And all he asks is to trust that to be true and that God will be with you regardless of what happens in life, whether it is now in the best of health or whether it's on your deathbed. God is your God. He will be your God always, whether you want him to be or not. We have a God, and you don't get a choice in that. Trust him that he will be with you. Thanks be to God. Amen.